Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Green. Today, we have industry experts with the insights and perspectives on the latest cybersecurity news that affects your agency and organization. Today, we have Steve Marquez, co-founder of the OpenSSL Foundation. This is part two of the interview with Steve Marquez. So the question I would like to know, like what, what level of funding for a project this size like OpenSSL open is needed to keep it active and, and vibrant? Uh, at the current uh, resource level of four FTEs, um, well, we're talking a you know a, a more or less competitive income for uh, a, a couple of senior software engineers, plus the expenses of running our servers and team meetings and stuff like that. But we're only looking at a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, in the big scheme of things, it's very little money actually. But um, surprisingly, you know. Pre-Heartbleed, before anyone who, know who knew who we were, our donations were averaging about $2,000 a year, just to give you an idea. Wow, that's, that's very uh, uh, disappointing. It, it's typical, though. I talk to other open source projects and the ones that no one's ever heard about, and, and that's kind of typical. You basically, you don't get into open source because you expect to make a lot of money. Uh, people like Steve Henson, uh, who worked on OpenSSL for years, his primary concern was not starving to death, uh, you know, since he, he worked on it full time. Uh, you know, even today, most of our team members uh, have full-time day jobs, demanding full-time day jobs, and only work on OpenSSL on a part-time basis, completely uncompensated. But what we have found and what common sense would would also suggest is that having full-time dedicated resources makes a huge difference. To have someone who doesn't worry about um, uh, competing demands from a, a, uh, a full-time employer uh, and in particular someone who doesn't have to worry, worry about implementing uh, specific enhancements or features for uh, to satisfy the wishes of a particular client, but who instead can look at the, you know, the overall health and welfare of the OpenSSL code base. So that's, I think, the most important thing. What I'm focused on personally is keeping those full-time positions um, in the OpenSSL project. Well, hopefully, you know, we have some listeners who will uh, pay attention to what you were saying, and hopefully, they will reach out to you because I. I think I definitely think, given the nature of how how much OpenSSL is used in critical infrastructure and just on the internet, I think there needs to be a greater concern, ongoing support um, of OpenSSL, so that we have you know so we won't have another heartbleed situation. No, well, and I I'm sure you've noticed uh, that even after heartbleed, there's been a series of major vulnerabilities. There was one just this last week. Um, that has massive implications for you know a huge number of people. I'm thinking of the cloud uh, cloudflare, cloudflare, yeah, it, which it, some people are comparing to Heartbleed because it was a similar kind of, of um, mechanism for uh, for the bug. Uh, you know these things happen because really complicated software uh, requires uh, a large investment of manpower, you know, to do it right. So, so I, I think fundamentally the way in which 
uh, open source is being managed, operated. I think the model has to change and hopefully, um, you know, with some of the recent things that have happened with Heartbleed and some other things. I mean, if you look at it, more and more government is using open source, is consuming and using open source. So it becomes a greater concern for me, you know, if, if, you know, to know that, hey, if someone is using open source, we want to make sure that there's the right level of visibility and, and continuity for the projects, that people are actually doing software engineering correctly, you know, looking for bugs, finding bugs. So this presents a unique problem, I think, that can potentially be exasperated in the long term if we don't figure out a way how to, at least for the key open source projects that are used a lot in modern software, figure out a way how to create an ecosystem around that where we have a group who are, who are doing the software engineering, but you also have another group who are actually finding bugs and you have a group that actually work to help you know, create the fixes so that we can, one, reduce the wind of exposure that's often um, as a result of these bugs being being disclosed. I agree. So that, that's that's my that's my goal. That's my wish list. And hopefully with the work that I'm doing at DHS S&T, I can come up with something creative that can help stimulate the open source community so that we are um, you know, protecting uh, the key projects that are really, really essential to critical infrastructure. Steve, before I let you go, can you just give us an update on on where we are with the open OpenSSL FIPS validation and, and the, how's that, how that's coming along? Well, um, as, as I think you know, we uh, made an announcement last year uh, that we had uh, sponsorship funding to, to, for the basic components of a new FIPS validation because and a new one is needed for two reasons, and one is uh, the requirements for FIPS 140 validations are, are constantly changing, and have changed a lot since our validation done back in, um, uh, I was thinking, what year was ours done? 20, 2013, I think, yeah, year 2013. And the other reason is that the new OpenSSL 1.1 releases, because of the structural changes we had to make, is not compatible with our FIPS module, with the older FIPS module. Um, so we do have a, a agreement with a uh, commercial firm, uh, a place called SafeLogic, uh, to fund the new validation. Uh, we're deferring work on that, though, probably for another couple of months uh, due to resource contentions. Um, we're trying to finish off first the 1.1 release, which we considered highest priority, and now a TLS 1.3 implementation. Um, hopefully, later this year, we can start on that in earnest and have something, uh, probably by the end, my guess, of 2018, that uh, can be used in the federal government and DOD with the 1.1 and subsequent releases. Something interesting just came to mind. So, if, so what happens to the legacy versions of OpenSSL prior to 1.1 because obviously the government can't use 1.1 because it's not FIPS validated. So what happens to the prior releases? Is there enough uh, support and resources around the legacy versions of OpenSSL? Well, here's the dilemma. Um, the OpenSSL release 102 we have designated as a 
LTS, long-term support release. And we expect the FIPS validations for the corresponding FIPS module, the 2.0 FIPS module, to remain valid for several years to come. So, so one answer to your question is a, a government agency that's currently using OpenSSO 1.0.2 with the 2.0 FIPS module, that will remain valid as far as FIPS 140 and support of the underlying OpenSSL. That will be good for several years still. However, here's the dilemma. Um, TLS 1.3 will uh, not be backported to the older versions of OpenSSL. And I suspect you'll find um, that uh, just as TLS 1.2 is currently mandated uh, within DOD, for example, you'll find TLS 1.3 is going to be mandated um, probably in the next one or two years because it addresses a number of significant security issues with TLS 1.2. And that will leave government agencies with a dilemma. They can either stay with the FIPS validated open SSL that's currently available and not be able to interoperate with TLS 1.3, or they can upgrade to the newer OpenSSL 1.1, which has the audited code base, which is a product in every technical sense, but doesn't have yet a FIPS module. And given the timing, I, I would not be surprised if that choice uh, is confronts uh, uh, government users uh, before so, the FIPS module is available. So I think we need to be ahead of, it, ahead of this, and I would like, hopefully, to engage you more um, and we can put together a plan of action on behalf of the government uh, or I should say for the government so that it can make smart decisions about not only the software they're using, but obviously, you know, how this impacts them from a, a security perspective, because knowing what version of software to use is very important. Uh, obviously, we need to kind of reduce the, the amount of vulnerabilities that that are that are as a result of using bad components or components with you know poor hygiene so you know providing a level of guidance to the government i think will be something that will be very helpful and hopefully you can help uh, provide that pathway and provide the necessary uh, uh, plans and steps to, to guide the government in the right direction we'll do what we can steve it's been so great talking to you uh, a lot of work to do uh, not only with open ssl but just open open source software in general. I'm sure this is not the only project that uh, faced the same type of difficulties and the same type of uh, funding and resource issues. Hopefully we can put something together that can help secure our open source environments. Yeah, that would be great. It's been great talking to you, Steve. Thank you. Sure. Well, I think we have to wrap it up here. You want to thank our guest today, Steve Marquess. We also want to thank our listeners who tuned to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives on Fescue Radio with your host, Kevin Green. Until next time, peace.